Hi there, today's February 9th, 2014, and this is Epicenter Bitcoin, Episode 6, The One-Man Protest. On today's show, we're talking about how Apple kicked off the last Bitcoin wallet blockchain info from the iPhone. We're talking about the breakdown and likely end of the once leading Bitcoin exchange, Mt. Gox. We're also talking about Aurora Coin, a super interesting and novel cryptocurrency from Iceland. We'll cover the successful Bitcoin paywall experiment of the Chicago Sun-Times and Bitwall. And finally, the first Bitcoin price tag. If you like the work we're doing and you'd like to support the show, please go to epicenterbitcoin.com slash tips for our tipping address. Welcome to episode six of the Epicenter Bitcoin podcast, uh, your show about the latest news and developments in the Bitcoin world. I'm uh, Brian Fabian Crane, a Berlin-based entrepreneur, the founder of the Bitcoin Startup Spelling Group. And I'm Sebastian Kuchu. I'm a Canadian user experience designer and developer and, and based in Lille, France, and uh, also the founder of the Lille Bitcoin uh, Talks meetup. Yeah, you had the first meetup this week, no? Yeah, it was awesome. It was really great. Uh, so we had about an attendance of 20 people. Like I said in the last episode, we had the meetup at a bar called La Machine. And, and they're, I think, I mean, from what I can see, the only uh, the only place in town that accepts Bitcoin. So they, they were glad to accept us and um, to, to, to host uh, the event. And so we had, about, like I said, about 20 people that came. And I had, uh, I had contacted a, an academic... He's a math professor at one of the universities here in Lille, and he had wrote quite extensively about Bitcoin. But from a very academic point of view, like he he wrote uh, quite a few articles in science magazines, and he's got like a fifty-page paper where he, where he dis- where he dissects the whole thing. So I had uh, oh really yeah is yeah. it in French or it, it's in French yeah French. and he had, he had given a um, about a one and a half or two hour presentation at uh, at the university uh, i think it was last week or the week before uh, about bitcoin to his students so it, so uh, i was uh, lucky enough to have him um, attend the meetup and he had agreed to give a talk so he, he gave a, a talk of about uh, I don't know, probably about 40 minutes um where he uh, just kind of explains Bitcoin from every angle, but from a very academic perspective. So it was kind of interesting to for him to, and being a mathematician, he, he's, he's very interested in the, in the cryptographic aspect of Bitcoin. So that was kind of interesting. And then I gave a talk, um, I gave a 15, 20 minute talk, just uh, kind of off the cuff, uh, off the top of my head, um, where I outlined four of the nine predictions we gave in our predictions episode. Um, cool. Which yeah. which ones did you choose? So I, I chose the ones that I find are, I guess, the mass majority of people would kind of associate to more, like the the ones that we'll see happen, um, kind of uh, in the media and such. So I spoke about remit um, uh, uh, Bitcoin payments. Yeah. I spoke about uh, buying and purchasing buying and selling Bitcoin. So um, like exchanges and how exchanges are going to evolve and uh, Bitcoin ATMs and all that stuff. Uh, I, I spoke about remittances and regulation. 
Cool. Yeah. Well, that sounds like a great meetup. Yeah, it went really and, well. And uh, yeah. it's it's great you had twenty people at the the first time. That's fantastic. Yeah, I, I gotta say I I was helped out. I I got a bit of uh, a bit of a publicity push by a few um, well known people here in the tech web community who tweeted about it, and um, there was a tech conference here two weeks ago, and they they tweeted about it. So I I got some some. Uh, online marketing support from from a few notable members of the community so that was kind of interesting and kind of fun to have them involved in, in that as well so yeah it was a great meetup and and uh, now i'm just uh i'm just uh excited about having another one next month and uh, already thinking of talks and things like that so cool awesome yeah, yeah we have the next meetup coming up on tuesday as well and uh, i we have some some great talks, uh, and and also one thing I'm really excited about is a guy called uh, Onyx Ashanti, and uh, he's an artist. He does music, and he does he prints these 3D instruments. Uh, so they're they take body sensors. So let's say um, his uh, he has like a transcranial or ECT and things like that. So they basically take like uh, brainwaves and, and other things. And then he makes music basically with his body. So it's, it's really cool and crazy. He gave a um, presentation of this at Ted. There's a very popular Ted talk has like half a million views or something. Yeah. And uh, he's super interested in Bitcoin. Oh, okay. And he I was wondering, tries- how does that tie into Bitcoin? <laughs> <laughs> Where does the well, Bitcoin he, come in? <laughs> there's a few things. So one, he only accepts Bitcoin for his work now. Okay. Uh, cool. And he's interested in, in... So he basically wants to do a kind of performance that integrates a blockchain. So he, <laughs> he tried to explain it to me, and I, I find it kind of hard to follow, but he's going to do that next week. Um, Are you going to be filming so, this? I think we might. Yeah, I think we should. Oh, yeah, you have to. Yeah, you have yeah. to. <laughs> and you got to. And then we got to put it up on the on the website. Yeah, I I actually bought a camera for the last meetup, but then we just didn't. Well, it's it's hard to get good sound out there as well, and okay. uh, we didn't have time to edit it. So, but yeah, I think this this one we definitely have to. Cool. Yeah. And I'll be seeing you for drinks afterwards. Yeah, we'll be going. So another person who's giving a talk is uh, Jörg Platzer. He's um, he's very well known in the Bitcoin. I, have you heard of him? Uh, I think so. Yeah, so I he's the founder of um, of uh, Room Seventy Seven, which is yeah, I right. think the oldest place to accept Bitcoin, like since two thousand eleven. Um, and uh, he'll give a talk, and we'll go to his uh, his restaurant bar afterwards. So it'll be cool. And they just got their first Bitcoin ATM. Oh right? yeah, absolutely. Yeah, there's. I was there on that was the last Thursday. Actually, I think they set it up on Wednesday evening. But like Thursday was the uh, once a month. There's a meet up there where you know people just meet for drinks, and uh, there was a Lamasu, so the, the first one in Germany, which was and it's so nice. It it's just amazing to use that machine. So it's tell really, me how, how how easy is it to use, and uh, you know because we spoke about. Uh, um, some of the problems, I mean, um, difficulties with using machines and having to identify yourself, like how, how does it work? Yeah. Well, so it's extremely easy to use. So you just go there, you, uh, press, you want to buy, 
bitcoins, then uh, they have a, a scanner. You hold the QR code of your wallet address, um, and then it, you know it gets the address, and then you put in money and you confirm, and, and that's it. It's that's super it. smooth. Yeah, but uh, well, the identification thing. So uh, I would put it like this: It's operated. This machine in Berlin, in Room Seventy Seven is operated in this kind of legal gray zone. So it's not clear whether this is actually, you know, complete. It's not clear whether they will be able to continue like this, or whether at one point they will have to identify people, etc. And and at that point, it would get a lot more complicated. Mm-hmm. But in its basic use case, it's just super nice and super smooth. So yeah, it's really can, cool. You can also sell Bitcoin for fiat or. Uh- no, no, it's just uh, just buying. Cool. And it's a really, I mean, you'll see it on on next Tuesday. Yeah, it's I don't really, buy Bitcoin from it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a really well designed, uh, beautiful machine. The interface is really nice. So it's yeah, it's a it's a joy really. Cool. I'm really and interested they, in seeing ha- it for the yeah for the user experience side of it too. You know. Yeah, the user experience is great. Cool. I mean, I. I, I because I looked into this in detail, so you know, I look at Robocoin and talk with them, and you know, the Robocoin admittedly is an ugly machine, um, but Lamasu is not. It's just it's very nice, very well done. Um, and the interesting thing is that they're so they're not operating this for profit. It, this actually belongs to some guy in Belgium. He put it there, and the idea is that anyone can put their own bitcoins on there. And they'll be sold, and then you can kind of go there and collect your money. Ah, oh, sort of like a yeah, like local Bitcoin through a Bitcoin ATM. Yeah, something like that. I mean, I think they're also doing that for legal reasons. So because otherwise they will have issues with being a, like a money transmitter type thing mm-hmm. or financial service business. Uh, so it's interesting, but it also means there's no uh, transaction fee. There's no charge. I think they just take uh, the exchange price. That's really good. Although they, when I mean when I was there last Thursday, they do just take the exchange test, but it was Mount Gox price, so it was still expensive. <laughs> yeah, uh, I was I was happy. At, um, I was also kind of excited at my meetup because it was the first time I spent Bitcoin for physical products. Like I I bought oh, stuff really? online with Bitcoin, cool. but this is the first yeah. time where I actually went and and uh, did a Bitcoin transaction. So I bought my beer with a Bitcoin and with Bitcoin and so that was pretty cool. And um, oh yeah, we also had a, a journalist come and he's doing a whole a whole bunch of stories on Bitcoin for the uh, Gazette du Nord Pas-de-Calais, which is kind of like the newspaper of the, the department of the north of France and um, so he came and he, he he had already interviewed the professor who gave the talk and so he yeah. interviewed me about doing the meetup cool. and he interviewed also the, the owner of the bar who accepts the Bitcoin and you know so I, I think we're going to have an article well we are yeah we are going to have a few articles in the in the Gazette here and it's going to be kind of cool yeah it's cool yeah I also interviewed I also had an interview with some journalists on last Thursday so I think there's going to be an article there too in a newspaper from here from Berlin he was actually, it was nice because he was a very, he actually really understood Bitcoin, was very excited about it because, you know, you have a lot of journalists that come from this kind of removed perspectives, like what is this? Mm-hmm. And, or it's just, just to write a story. But uh, this guy was really, really interested in it. And, and that's, that's great. Yeah. Good. Uh, should we get started with our topics? We have a lot to cover this week. Yeah, we've got a lot of stories this week. I mean, obviously the blockchain.info story, uh, Mt. Gox also. Um, 
and everything that's been going on there. So let's get into it. Should we start with blockchain.info? Yeah, so uh, so blockchain.info uh, was removed from the App Store, effective uh, February 6th. And so they their app was in the App Store for the last two years, and they had over 120,000 downloads. Um, the wallet app effective, so the app was effectively a, a wallet. Uh, although I I have I have the info app on my phone, and it seems to just pull the information from the website. Yeah, that's right. Uh, right. Yeah. I don't it's, think it that, doesn't store the private keys there. Right, mm-hmm. and I don't think that it, unlike some of the other uh, clients, it doesn't synchronize with the blockchain. All the transactions happen on. On their side, I think it's just the, a client-facing yeah. app. So yeah, that's right. Yeah. Uh, so this is in contrast to perhaps some of the other apps that have been removed from the App Store prior. Um, uh, this is where it it, it kind of I think well it surprised me anyway uh, that they had removed it. Um, but I mean, Apple's removed other Bitcoin apps before, like CoinJar or Coinbase, and also. I think in terms of functioning, that's similar to Coinbase. Yeah, yeah. Coinbase worked kind of the same way. It was also, um, you know, native access or to the to the website. Yeah. But also there was Glyph. um, I think Glyph actually had a wallet. Did it not? No, no. They used Coinbase. They used Coinbase. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So they removed the app on February sixth. And obviously, there's been a lot of uproar about this. Uh, blockchain responded in a series of posts on its blog over at blog.blockchain.info. Um, and the media has been all over. Like, if you go on their blog, they've got an article there from the 7th that just lists all of the newspapers and you know publications that have written about it. So there's lots of ink that's been spilled about this. So what their response is that, you know, this is this is Apple using its uh, its power to um, well to dictate you know uh, what go, what goes and doesn't go in their app store and there are several reasons why they may have chosen to do this and we'll go into that uh, in just a few minutes and now so blockchain is working on a HTML5 wallet which is essentially you know for these for the non technical uh, listener um, it's it's a website. That you go to on your iPhone, so you go into Safari and you you go into a website, and then you can bookmark it. And when you bookmark it, you bookmark it to your to your home screen, and that allows you to use it as though it was an app. So it kind of looks and feels like an app. It it's using your internet connection to to get the information, much like the blockchain wallet was in the first place. But it's uh, actually using HTML5 technology and not native development. Now this has some um, drawbacks like there are certain things that you can't do for instance for the time being I don't think you can use a camera in an HTML5 app that well actually there's have you heard of CoinPunk no so CoinPunk is a, a project that that was actually before Apple shut out blockchain.info app so it's been going for a while they have an Indiegogo campaign so a crowdfunding campaign and they're working on an HTML5 wallet, the Bitcoin wallet, exactly for the ideas, exactly for the iPhone. And uh, they do have a QR code scanner. Okay. So it's, I think it should be out soon. I mean, I think they've been working on it for a while. They've raised like a, you know, a decent amount of money, a few thousand, five thousand dollars or something. Yeah. The, the ability to read a QR, well, to use a camera and uh 
on, on an HTML5 website is dependent on the HTML5 specification and that's fairly new. Like, so if, if Safari supports that, it's, it's very new and it may still be in beta and not all browsers support it. So, but if Safari does support it and that, in that case, in fact, an HTML5, an HTML5 wallet would be able to use the camera. Um, yeah, yeah, I think there's a, there's a ease, or supposedly at least. Okay. There's a video of him uh, on the website where he goes to this subway in some subway in Pennsylvania. And, uh, I think they have kind of a working prototype and he uses it and buys a subway with this. <laughs> cool. Um, so like I was saying, uh, so, um, there's, there's a petition that that's up on change.org. It doesn't have very many signatures. It only has about 5,000, but the response to this has been just huge, uh, not only in the media, but also from iPhone users that uh, that use Bitcoin. So there was a Reddit post, uh, I think it was well, just after this, where somebody said, for everybody who, uh, who records themselves, uh, you know, does well, it. it was for, he, he made a post and he said, for every hundred upvotes this post gets, I'm going to give one Nexus 5 to someone who destroys their iPhone 5 and posts a video. Yeah. Uh, so, so then lots of people were following that. You know, there's some guy who drives out in the desert with his, like, long-range gun and shoots it numerous times. Some other guy with a machete, like, goes down or with various tools to destroy their iPhones. I just watched, like, a, he's, he's huge. He's, <laughs> he turns the camera to himself and he's just this, this guy with a big beard. He's got a cigarette in his mouth. And he's like, <laughs> it just looks like he's going to put a hit on someone. <laughs> yeah, I know. So, actually, the, the, guy, the guy who shoots it, he also looks kind of scary with his yeah. massive gun there. and. <laughs> So they gave out how many? Six? Uh, I think five or six. Five yeah, or six, six. I think he gave yeah. out, yeah. I feel bad for the six guy who destroyed his iPhone but didn't get a Nexus 5. Yeah. So, yeah, well, I mean, this is the this is where, you know, the questions, uh, how, how would this affect, um, I guess, phone sales? <laughs> I mean, maybe not phone sales, but, you know, all these people that have been using that, that use iPhone and, and want to use Bitcoin, they're going to be moving to Android. I mean, we've seen a lot of people move to Android. Uh, in fact, even uh, in one of the blog posts from blockchain, they said that this was you know, right after um, Apple removed the iPhone app, the Android downloads went up significantly. So, um, yeah, but I mean, if you look at the iPhone sales, I really doubt this is happening in a magnitude where they care about it. Oh yeah, no, absolutely. Uh, but I'm just saying, you know, I, I think that we're going to see a lot of Bitcoin users move to Android. Yeah, I mean, I I, I have an iPhone, and yeah, how do you how do you spend me, your Bitcoins then? Well, so I so it is often is annoying. I do have the Coinbase wallet because you know once you have the wallet, they they don't remove it, mm-hmm. uh, and. Coinbase wallet, I mean, for those who remember, it was in the App Store for about a month in November. And so I downloaded it then, and it still works. So I can use that. Uh, but, you know, I wouldn't be able to update it. And right. 
maybe it'll stop working at some point it's possible or if i let's say i upgrade the operating system or mm-hmm. something like that then it will break and for i'm for me it's certainly like if my if my iphone would break now i would buy an android and if by the time i have to you know sort of want to the next phone they haven't reversed their stance on this i will definitely be moving to android so yeah yeah I use a I use an Android like I've got a Nexus Five, and and yeah I mean there's a there's a block there's the official Bitcoin app I've got blockchain I've got Feathercoin Dogecoin Litecoin you know and, and I'm sure there's more so uh, I've also got these cool little uh, ticker widgets on my home screen so I can see the Bitcoin prices um, well you have those on the iPhone too I mean, oh yeah they okay. don't they only they only ban wallets so. Bitcoin information apps, tickers, all those things, charts, you do have those. Like uh, there's an app called Zero Block, and then if you know it, it's really nice. Uh, they, they were actually bought by blockchain. Oh, okay. Dot info. Um, and they have really nice charts and things. So, so that is there, but the wallets, so really what you want to do, use Bitcoin, that unfortunately is, yeah, it's going to be difficult. So let's just kind of go into maybe some of the reasons why. Apple's doing this. Um, I think there's two kind of main reasons. Uh, one is that they want to, because of the uncertainty, the legal uncertainty surrounding Bitcoin right now and in different countries, and because they have such a foothold in, in so many different countries, and you know, there's terms of service that are kind of uh, that are global terms of service. They want to limit their legal risks. And I don't them, buy that. You don't I buy honestly, that. I don't buy that. I, I think I think it's a legitimate thing because, you know, for Apple to to get into uh, well to, to have Bitcoin uh, wallets uh, on their uh, on on their, but what's the what's the risk there? So let's say they say okay, we'll allow it, and then in some countries they'll be like, no, this is illegal. You need to get rid of it. I mean, then they could always say, okay, uh, you know, we'll ban it in Turkey or wherever. This is, would be zero problem for them. And it's not like anybody will come to them uh, and nothing bad would happen. Yeah, I mean, but you got to remember could... Apple's very conservative in their decisions, right? So uh, and if, if for them they see that there's a, there, there may be some risk or that it gets them in some sort of legal gray zone and that they don't see the advantage, you know, the, the, the financial advantage or, or whatever to, to get into it. And, you know, that really outweighs, you know, the legal risk really outweighs... Well, I, I just don't believe there's a legal risk there. Really. No. I mean, just look at Android. They, they allow all kinds of Bitcoin apps. And where's the legal risk there? I mean, where's the legal risk for Google? I don't see it. And, and of course, the, I mean, the App Store does have different apps available in different countries. So they could totally make it available. And then if a certain country uh, goes to them and says, you can't allow this, Bitcoin is illegal or Bitcoin wallets are illegal here, uh, they could remove them. This would be no problem. And I don't think any government would even have a problem with that. You know, if if, if upon request, Apple would remove them. I mean, that would be a very conservative thing to do. And I really don't believe that would cause any danger for them or any legal risks. Hmm. Uh, there was a, an interesting interview on... Uh on uh, on Let's Talk Bitcoin by the founder of Glyph. Yeah, I remember that. Yeah. Yeah, and and he, 
I'd, I'd like to find it so that we can maybe go over it. Um, there was an interesting thing, as he said, is that if your app gets removed from the app store for whatever reason, it's up for you as an app developer to prove that it's not illegal in all countries where Apple operates or something of the sort. Do you remember yeah, it's just absurd. Yeah, yeah no, no, I remember. Yeah, so something like, actually, they did, Blockchain or Info did ask, you know, what's, why is this? And then they were being like really vague and it's like, oh, you know, in some jurisdiction, this may not be legal. And then he was like, well, in what jurisdiction? Where is, what about it not legal? And then their response was, well, that's for you to figure out, <laughs> which is, of course, absurd. Yeah, it's <laughs> so, absurd. Yeah. No, it's, I mean, it is a shame what they're doing and. What's what are your thoughts on the idea that or the theory that they're doing this because they're planning their own payment system and uh, they're planning to implement mobile payments soon, so they basically want to eliminate competition. Well, above above and beyond that, whether or not they're going to be implementing payments is one thing, but uh, I mean, you got to know, you know, you, you have to realize that <clears throat> for the time being, there are, there are in app payments, uh, in app Apple apps uh you know you can have a in-app payments in your app and they get 30 percent off of that so if you can bypass that by using bitcoin they're using that they're losing but, that 30 percent margin no no but they could still they could block that functionality i mean they could totally block that now and still allow bitcoin wallets i don't know how they could block that really i mean but but what about um the play store on android I mean, Google gets a share of the sales, no? That's true, yeah. And don't they get share of uh, in-app sales revenues as well? They yeah, but they're, 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 not as, uh, they're not as strict as Apple in, in terms of what you can and can't do uh, when it comes to in-app purchases. For instance, uh, in Apple, you know, Apple will be very strict against implementing uh back doors like i'll give you an example like for example the kindle app in um in in the apple store if if you want to buy if you want to buy um a book you've got to go to the amazon website and purchase your book you can't even have a link to the amazon website in the app like they they have to explain yeah, to you you've yeah. got to open up safari and right on the other hand, Android, I'm Google and Android are not as strict on this. So this is where the this is where there's a line, right? So Apple will say this, you know, even if somebody uses Bitcoin for in-app purchases or I don't know, purchasing content or what have you, that's in strict violation of what they allow. Where I think Google might, I mean, I haven't read the terms of service for yeah, Apple or Google. I mean, I, I would I think, think they is, should be able to, you know, I, th I think they should be able to prevent that if they wanted to and still allow Bitcoin wallets. I really don't, I don't see why. It would be I mean, difficult, and I'll explain to you why. Because a lot of apps, I mean, a lot, there are some apps that are not native apps in the sense that they're native apps, but they pull content from the internet. Um, they're, they're essentially a, uh, a wrapper for a website. So, um, for instance, 
you might have a newspaper you know, that has a website that has an app and their app is just a container for the website. So whatever content gets brought in is not native in the app. So there's really not a lot of ways Apple can vet that before they approve it. I think, but, they, but they could, they could tell, I mean, they could remove the app if something like that happens. Oh yeah, and, for sure. And then if they, let's say they ban the app, I mean, that's an extremely threatening outcome to an app. But you got to think, uh, this is just more work for them, right? So they don't want to, I don't, I don't think they want to lose time. I think they'd rather just outright ban uh, Bitcoin from, yeah. from being, you know, for whether, whether it's wallets, whether it's, uh, whether it's doing in-app purchases, whether it's whatever, they just want to ban it in in preparation, I mean, to, pr- to protect their, their 30% yeah. profit. And also perhaps, like you said, in preparation for whatever payments they're going to be implementing. Now that's interesting because I just want to get back to this. There, there's, um, there was a, a complaint submitted by a Bitcoin enthusiast to the Department of Justice. And their yeah. response was, we're not, we've determined that the information provided does not raise antitrust issues that warrant further review by the division. And the reasoning behind this is that for the moment, Apple does not offer payment services, so it does not compete with Bitcoin. Yeah, I mean, that so, makes sense to me. I really don't see why this is an antitrust issue. I mean, right, but the, I think know, there are other problems I have with it, but that's, yeah. But the day that they implement payment, so let's say next yeah, year, it may Apple become starts, one. Yeah. Right, so yeah. They're, 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 I don't know, maybe they're shooting, or some, they're shooting themselves in the foot in the first place, because when they do start doing payments, if they start doing payments, then they're going to be yeah. an antitrust. <laughs> I mean, I mean, I, I personally think this, they will have to reverse on this stance and I think they will have to do so pretty soon. You know, I mean, I, I think within the next six months, I would expect them to have to allow Bitcoin wallets. I mean, may, maybe I'll be wrong, but uh, I, you know, if, if Bitcoin keeps growing and being adopted at the rate it currently is, it, you know, this this is just not tenable. I mean, we, now we have small, you know, a small group of users leaving Apple for Android. But once Bitcoin payments become more prevalent and you can't do those properly with the iPhone, you know, that's that's a problem, I think. Oh, yeah, yeah. So I'm, I'm, I ho- really hope they're going to reverse on this soon. And I just find it a bit, yeah, I mean, I, f- I find it very disappointing that they take this uh, very narrow-minded stance. I mean, uh, blockchain.info on their blog post, they were quoting uh, Steve Jobs or no, the, the Apple commercial. You, um, where was that? Let me just pull that up. Um, just one second. Yeah. So this is the, are you, you're talking about the IBM? Um, yeah, yeah. So there's this, let me just read this aloud. Um, so this was from an old Apple commercial. So here's to the crazy ones, the mit, the misfits, the rebels, the troublemakers, the round pegs in the square holes, the ones who see things differently. They're not fond of rules and they have no respect for the status quo. You can quote them, disagree with them, glorify or vilify them. 
about the only thing you can't do is ignore them because they change things. They push the human race forward. And it's, of course, very ironic, no? Because now Blockchain at Info comes and says, well, you know, who's the crazy one now? It's, and it's just, it's this turnaround where Apple was once this rebellious company. And now they're this big monopolistic, uh, conservative monolith, you know, comparable to Microsoft, I guess. I think how people saw Microsoft five years ago or eight years ago. And uh, what's funny too is the guy who was offering the nexuses for the people who destroyed their iPhones, his Reddit username was uh, Round Peg, so he took <laughs> it from this from yeah. this quote. Um, yeah, so yeah, but you know. I, I agree with you know, uh, and, and I identify with this. But this is not the first time that this <laughs> that this famous quote has been pulled and 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 used against Apple and you know to to kind of contradict a, a policy that they that they've been implemented. I mean, um, yeah, I, I'm I'm a regular listener of uh, MacBreak Weekly on the Twit Network, and <laughs> I've I've uh, I've heard this kind of argument before. Okay, um, yeah. So, but. Um, there's just one one last thing I want to get back to um, in in terms of legitimacy. Like you said that eventually you know, Apple would have to turn around and on their decision and, and 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 reconsider accepting Bitcoin wallets. Like I, I I totally agree, and I think that this is. Uh, I was reading on a CoinDesk, so Jeremy Allaire, who is the CEO of Circle had made a few statements about this and you know he sees this as not at all threatening to bitcoin because you know bitcoin is here to stay and and for bitcoin startups you know the vcs are, are looking at long term they're they're not driven by this kind of news and they look at it as a long term uh, from a long term perspective and, and yeah i mean and, i totally I'm sure agree they're also that. saying to themselves you know, one day when amazon and google and 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 who knows who else maybe even you know well, you know, whatever large merchants start accepting Bitcoin and, and we've got mass adoption, they're not going to be able to, to ignore that. You know, they're, they're not going to um, risk losing customers because they're not accepting Bitcoin wallets. And, and I think at that point, they're going to have to reconsider uh, their, perhaps reconsider their, their current business model or monopoly on payments within their ecosystem. Yeah, no, I, I definitely agree with that. I think in the long, in the medium term, this doesn't matter. They'll have to reverse on their decision. It's not like Bitcoin is going to be seriously harmed by this. There was actually a, a bit of a price drop just following the blockchain or the info announcement, which I don't know, it didn't really make sense to me. Uh, but maybe it's unrelated, who knows? But yeah, I, I very much agree with the sentiment. I think, you know, by and large, this is not that, this is not that important. And when we look back, on this in two years, you know, this is not something that will be in the history of Bitcoin. Yeah. You know, it would just be a little footnote. It's important, important to point out that if you want to use uh, blockchain.info or, or any other wallet on your iPhone, you can always jailbreak it and that will. <laughs> yeah, that's yeah. true. The blockchain.info is in Cydia, so uh, you can still get it if you check. Yeah. I, I mine is actually jailbroken, so I guess oh. I could do that. Yeah. I haven't jailbroken a. I, 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 well, I haven't had an iPhone in many years, so 
I don't know how yeah. easy it is to do these days with the iPhone. Oh, it's very, it's super easy to check back it. Really? Yeah, that's. Yeah, yeah, no, it's crazy. Oh, cool. So I guess that hasn't changed. Um, but but you void your warranty. That's the thing. So if you have a warranty on it and something happens, then they're not gonna um, pay or so. They, that that's really the risk. Yeah. Anything else? Should we, we move this? to? No, let's move to uh, another massive topic this week, uh, Mount Gox. No? So Mount Gox, of course, everyone knows about Mount Gox. It's the most important Bitcoin exchange or was the most important Bitcoin exchange over the, the history of Bitcoin. It's been around since it was started in 2010, but it became it originally was started as a, a trading exchange for cards for the game uh, Magic the Gathering online. Have you ever played that, Sebastian? I've got a few. I've got a black deck and a white deck, I think, <laughs> at my parents' place. Um, yeah, so I've never played this. I, I, I don't know. I mean, I've seen people. I remember seeing people play this and uh, have friends who played it. I never played it. Yeah, if you walk into a comic book shop, uh, if you walk by a comic book shop on a Saturday night around 11 o'clock, there's chances you'll see people in there playing Magic. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. So this, <laughs> so they started as that, and then I guess that wasn't much of a business to be in, or I don't know. For some reason, they they switched to becoming a Bitcoin exchange in I think 2011, and so it was pretty early. And they have been the dominant Bitcoin exchange for much of Bitcoin's history. At the peak, they had 97% market share, so basically a monopoly, mm-hmm. and. Um, they, you know, in April 2013, there was this Bitcoin crash where it went briefly up to $260 and then it crashed to down to 60, 70 or something like that. And um, that was actually at least partially due to Mt. Gox being DDoSed and you weren't able to trade on Mt. Gox. And at the time, Mt. Gox had uh, about 65% market share, I think. So people were panicking because, you know, there's the biggest exchange by far and it wasn't basically breaking down. So that was, I mean, the price explosion, there may have been other reasons, but at least that was kind of the trigger for this uh, collapse back then. And there's been a decrease of the amount of market share for a while now. So as we mentioned, that was about 10 months ago or yeah, 10 months ago, they were still at about 65%. And uh, just before this happened now, they were at the 19% market share. So it's been going down dramatically. It's much diversified. Bitstamp now is, I think, almost twice as big as Mt. Gox. But still, you know, they're a very important exchange. And um, now this week, oh, maybe we should also mention there's been this weird thing going on. So if you if you when you come to Bitcoin, you look at the Bitcoin price, right? You, you look at Bitcoin price on different exchanges. You would notice on Mt. Gox, the Bitcoin price was significantly higher. It would be like a hundred dollars higher per Bitcoin for a long time over the last months. Now the reason was that if you wanted to withdraw uh, cash from Mt. Gox, this could take months. This could take several weeks to months to ages, especially for US dollar. So people, if they have money in Mt. Gox, they really wanted to buy Bitcoins because the Bitcoins take out, take out quickly. Whereas if they take out money through bank wire, you know, it just was quite a nightmare. 
Right, so that's why you had this price differential. Okay, so wait, so you, you said the price was higher. Um, the Bitcoin price was higher in my goals. Because yeah, it, w- it was taking longer for people to withdraw their Bitcoin into fiat. Yeah, so... So just think of like if you have money in Mount Gox. So a lot of people have money there because it's been the, around forever. So if you wanted to take your money out, you could do two things, right? You could either take wire, you know, you could sell the Bitcoins. So you'd have, let's say, uh, $2,000 in there. And then you could wire that money to your bank account. Or you could, of course, um, buy Bitcoins and then send you the Bitcoins out and sell it somewhere else, for example. And the problem was if you just withdrew the money as US dollars, this could take forever. This could take a month or a very long time and it was, it was a nightmare. So then people say like, well, you know, if it takes that long, maybe I'd rather buy Bitcoins and then I can have them within an hour or, you know, within half an hour. So that's why you had this price differential. So people would come in and say, oh, there's this arbitrage opportunity. Maybe I can like buy somewhere else and sell it on Mount Gox and then, you know, make some money that way. But didn't really work that way because it was so hard to get money out of Mount Gox. And but what's changed now this week. So here's kind of where the news comes, is that up to now, it was difficult to withdraw cash or especially US dollar. But you could withdraw Bitcoin. Now, this week, Bitcoin withdrawals as well have basically you know, started crashing. So people, I think what happened a few days ago, maybe on Monday around then, was that people would do Bitcoin withdrawals and they would the balance would disappear from their Mt. Gox account, but they would never arrive at their own wallet address. So they would be like, what's going on? And... Afterwards, after a few days of, I think, there being increasing problems with this, uh, Mt. Gox just uh, said, we, throw, we freeze all the Bitcoin balances. I mean, I think you can still do trading, but no Bitcoin withdrawals. They freeze all that. Uh, if, you know, they said for technical issues or because they wanted to be in a static state and look at the system and some, some uh, reasons like that. Um and they say they're, they're going to do another announcement until Monday and they hope to figure out what's going on, etc., or to solve this problem. So, uh, yeah, if you have Bitcoins or if you have any money in Mt. Gox at the moment, there's no, there's no possibility of getting it out. Um, so that's also caused the price crash. Uh, it's very significant, about 20% it crashed. And uh, a lot of... A lot of worry, of course. Uh, people scared for their money. Uh, some guy from Australia, he flew to Tokyo. It's quite a funny story. Did you see that? Yeah, he's got a quite extensive. He's got quite an extensive Reddit post on his exchanges with uh, with uh, with people there on the ground. Yeah, he was hanging out in front of the office doing his like one man protest <laughs> and smart box. <laughs> For three days, and uh, he was uh, he was tackling, you know, he was uh, tracking down or talking with the CEO, and uh, I could just see this one guy standing in front of Mount Gox with a <laughs> with a sign. <laughs> yeah, it's quite, it's quite funny. But then at one point, he said someone else showed up who was uh, he called it an emissary for some kind of big Bitcoin holder. So uh, I guess that guy came to 
and and he she said that that old Bitcoin holder had some staggering amount of money in Mt. Gox. So this guy was kind of sent in his name to try to collect the money. <laughs> <laughs> it, it sounded a bit like some mafia. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, this guy comes. He's like, "Hey, where's my bitcoins?" <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So. Uh, What's yeah? What's the reason for this? So I think the general belief is that it's a technical reason. Um, there is a, a guy named Jonathan Levin. He's a, he's at Oxford. He uh, runs the currency uh, res- virtual currency research group, and he's um, on this meme list. So he, he was writing that. So I'm, I'm basically I, I didn't see this elsewhere, but what he was saying was that when Mt. Gox uh, paid out with your money. They had some problems with the transaction ID. So it would be possible for someone else to change the transaction ID. And then Mt. Gox would look for the payout to confirm it went out. And because the transaction ID was changed, it wouldn't find it. So it would, would pay it out again. And so this was basically be a way for someone uh, to withdraw their Bitcoin funds from Mt. Gox several times. And, uh, do we know if this has been done? I don't know if this has been done. Yeah, it's a, I think I saw somewhere that some people did do that. I don't know if this has been done just a few times or on a large scale. Of course, if this has been done on a large scale, well, you know, they might have lost a ton of money that way. So that would also raise the question... Do they have a liquidity problem, you know, or? I, I so, think it also raises the question of the stability of, of the Bitcoin network. If this is even like, I, I, I don't know very much technically about, about how this all works, but. But, but from, from what I understand is the reason why this was possible with Mt. Gox is because they're not running the standard client. They have some sort of old client and they have their own version of it. And so they're doing some weird things and there's a, a various people were saying I mean there's a, a Andreas Antonopoulos and uh, the, one of the core developers Gregory Maxwell was as he was apparently talking with them at some point and they're all saying that apparently the technical infrastructure of Mount Gox is just a complete disaster right. and so they, this was not a website that was built for to be a large scale exchange so I think that's very different from you know, now you have new well-funded exchanges like uh, Kraken or perhaps Bitstamp, etc. Um, and there they have a much, much more uh, know-how and better built websites. So it sounds like this is not a Bitcoin, uh, not a problem of the Bitcoin protocol, but this is a Mt. Cox problem. Okay. So there, there's this article that you sent me this morning on, on zerochange.com. Yeah, that was quoting Gregory Maxwell. Right. I think he, w- he was wrote it based on some things Gregory Maxwell said. So Gregory Maxwell is a Bitcoin developer and he works at Mt. Gox? No, no, he doesn't work at Mt. Oh. Gox, but he's one of the core developers. He's very, you know, one of the, I don't know, four or five most, Okay. I think, well-known and influential big core developers. <laughs> So here's what he says, and this kind of gets technical, so uh, I'm going to try to explain it as, as best as I can. But first of all, he says that the insolvency, 
the question about insolvency is just hysteria and that there, there's no problem. There's no issue about, you know, he completely dismisses the allegations that, that Mt. Gox is insolvent. Um, you know, of course people are going to turn to this. People are going to say that they're insolvent because, or suspect that they're insolvent because their communication has been kind of crappy. Um, and then he talks about immature coin spend. Um, so he says that newly mined Bitcoins that are less than a hundred blocks deep inside the blockchain cannot be spent and any transaction involving them will fail. This matter was apparently addressed via the work via a workaround that ensured the Mt. Gox wallet software spent the oldest coins first. So this was an issue that had arose a previous last issue, year. Right? Yeah, that was, so it was a yeah, previous yeah. issue. Uh, and then there's a signature encoding problem that you spoke about. And then so he also says that there's a there's a there's a mess like it's an accounting mess. Um, where there's so many transactions flowing through their custom wallet. And so they need to address these transactions quickly and they need to detect where bugs, uh, where they've encountered bugs and, and then kind of figure out like which transactions are limit legitimate, which transactions failed because of the software wallet issues. Um, so I think that, like you said, you know, it's kind of a mess. It's an operational mess. Yeah, and this might be why they may, they, may, they may have said, "Okay, we're gonna stop all withdrawals so that we can figure this out." Clean. Yeah, but yeah. I mean, the the point, of course, is like let's. So I, I mean, I'd, I'd like to raise one point before. So I guess Gregory Maxwell said they're not insolvent, and the point is though, how do we know? We have no clue, right? And is there any no? But is there any reason to suspect that they would be insolvent? Like, is that even a rational? I, I don't know. It's perhaps, I mean, they've certainly had loads of problems. I have, it's, I don't know. I have no idea. But the point is, you know, if you hold Bitcoins, if you have a Bitcoin balance in an exchange like Mount Cox, I mean, it just shows a balance. It doesn't show where those Bitcoins are. It doesn't show you the address where you can go to blockchain.info and see, okay, it's there. You know, it's just, it's more of an accounting entry and it gives you, it's a bit like in a bank account, you know, it, it's a right for you to a certain amount of Bitcoin, but it's not the actual Bitcoins. So it's certainly possible that people would be, let's say, had 50,000 Bitcoins on their balances in Mt. Gox, but only 30,000 of them really existed. You know, so that's, there's no way for anyone to verify that. So if you think of something like a bank run where people try to get their money out first, if let's say if they did something shady and they didn't have all the Bitcoins that people are entitled to and that they should have, well, you might have a situation like that where you want to be the first one out because at the end of it, when everyone's moving out the Bitcoins, you know, there's going to be some people for, which, for whom there are none left. So, I mean, one way they could address that is if they made, for example, all their wallets public and they showed that, you know, so people could verify that. Do any exchanges uh, do that? No, 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 no exchanges do that. But I guess it could be something that maybe someone will do in the future. But at the moment, you know, this, we don't know. 
And that, of course, makes people nervous, too, because they are abysmal at communicating. So right now, I mean, if I had any money in Mt. Gox, I, you know, I would want to get that out as soon as possible. Uh, because, you know, who knows? When, when let's say, 50% of Mt. Gox start withdrawing their money, you know, we don't know what's going to happen. Um, so, I, I mean, I, I personally, I f- find it very unlikely that Mount Gox is going to survive this mess. Yeah. Because who, who in the right state of mind would want to keep using them? Although, I mean, since I've become interested, been involved with Bitcoin, I've never used Mount Gox. Neither and I. this was always there, right? Since the very beginning, there's always a story, well, Mount Gox is, is very difficult to use, avoid them. It takes forever to get your money out. So I was like, well, I'm never going to use them. But of course, for people who've been there longer, who have money in there and they have a strong brand name, um, it's different. And a lot of people still are using Mancox. So let's hope they're not insolvent. Let's hope they do have all those funds. It's just a technical issue. And let's hope that people will be able to withdraw their coins properly next week, hopefully. And let's hope that happens. But then I think Mancox is probably done. I mean, I don't know how they, maybe they'll recover to some extent, you know, maybe from 19% market share, they'll recover and then they'll have 10% afterwards. But, you know, I, I think by the end of the year, I would be surprised or or much earlier than that if Mangong still exists. This just further reinforced my conviction that you shouldn't keep your money in a in an exchange and i had a i had a little bit of bitcoin in, in btce and and uh, it had been sitting there for a while and and i was reading through coindesk this week and saw that there were some kind of shady stories and which turns out to be hoax but there was some kind of uncertainties around btc like i, I just took out all my bitcoin and took them out you know yeah that's, you, you that's shouldn't leave your you shouldn't leave your bitcoin in a in a in a wallet in an in exchange rather um, yeah, absolutely. I mean, you should make your own you should, cold you storage. Need... Yes. <laughs> yeah. This is something we should cover. And like, uh, we were talking about this earlier before the show, we both, um, kind of experimented with making our own cold storage wallets for, with raspberry Pis and, uh, and, and armory. Uh, I'm thinking of doing a story about the, um, an article about this in the, in the blog. So, Perhaps this is something we could touch on later about how to yeah, create no, your own. I think that would be wallet. fantastic. Yeah. Uh, we could even do a whole show at one point about security and talk about different aspects because there's um, you know a lot of things to talk there about. You know, we could, there's paper wallets and you know two-factor authentication. All those things you kind of have to be aware of and think about when thinking about your Bitcoin security. And of course, sometimes you do have to use an exchange, but the point is don't don't store your coins in an exchange, you know, like, you know, if you want to sell them, transfer them in exchange, sell them and then get your money out, but don't leave them lying there. Or, you know, I guess some people, they had hundreds or thousands of Bitcoins in my own cocks and that's just very dangerous. Yeah. I think there's a kind of a convenience side to it too, where, you know, you, you, you're going to trust the exchange, you know, they're, 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 uh, you know, this is, and my exchange is a legitimate company. They deal with Bitcoin. They deal with money. I trust that, 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 that they have secure, you know, cold storage wallets and such. So I'm not going to risk taking my Bitcoins and putting them on my Mac or on my personal computer or on my, or, or on my phone or whatever. Or, so I'm going to leave them there. And 
I think this is what a lot of people think, you know, that you know, it's safe to leave your coins there. But this just goes to show that you, know, you don't know the inner workings of an exchange and, and, and you can't uh, be assured that your that your coins are safe. I mean, this is not the first time this has happened, right? I mean, is it not? Um, yeah. You mean that they frozen no, the but payouts? That, 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 that people have lost coins because oh, no. left them online. That has yes. happened a lot of times before. I mean, exchanges have gotten hacked, so they would just steal all the coins that are on an exchange. Or there was also the story in China, there was a, an exchange called the GBL. And uh, that was basically a, a fake exchange. I mean, they, they, I think they set this up from the very start. The idea was, you know, you create an exchange, a lot of people put their money in there, and then you just close the exchange and take all everyone's money. So this was from the very start. This was planned like that, I think. You know, they had like fake addresses on the website, offices that didn't really exist. And they stole, I think it was four, $4 million worth of Bitcoin God. that way. So, um, yeah, I mean... This, is, this has happened many times. Or uh, There was the Bitcoinica, this is longer ago, but different Bitcoin exchanges have gotten hacked. And of course, if the Bitcoins get stolen, uh, you know, if it's a small amount and if the company is well-funded, et cetera, maybe they'll replace, they'll refund the user. But in many cases, it just means that they're gone. Yeah, I just feel bad for all those people that have their Bitcoins in Mt. Gox. And I, I hope they'll get them back. Uh, I really do, but um, uh, I'm, I'm sure they're they're biting their nails right now. Those people that have significant amounts of Bitcoin in, in Mt. Gox, uh, yeah, feel sorry for them. Yeah. So the next story we want to cover is uh, about a new currency, which is really interesting and very very different from I think any we've seen so far. It's called Aurora Coin, and uh, this is created by some people in Iceland and it's meant to be specifically a currency, a cryptocurrency for Iceland. And um, here's how it's going to work. They're going to, there's going to be 21 million coins in total and 50% are pre-mined. So that means they exist before the mining begins. The mining's already begun. So 50% of them, uh, you know, exist already. Now those 50%, will be given away to every person in Iceland. And that's going to start on uh, March 25th. So basically, any person in Iceland will be entitled within one year to go and claim those uh, their share of these pre-mined Aurora coins. So that's uh, 31.8 Aurora coin per person. Uh, the goal is that you know as many Icelanders as possible will claim their Aurora coin. And they're using the, the national ID scheme. So basically people have this kind of electronic ID uh, for people to claim their coins. And so there's gotten a lot of media attention, including on you know, the main news site in Iceland. And, and hopefully they'll be able to reach a, a large portion of the population. So have you have you been following this as well? Uh, I I read about it yesterday, and it seems to me it seems very interesting to me because I've been kind of um, 
watching like there's there's a movement uh, i think all around the world like in the, in the u.s and also here in france and in the uk of local currencies like uh people want to stimulate their local economy so they they you know communities come together and they form local currencies that can be used only in in local businesses um, yeah you've seen this before i, I think uh yeah yeah and in fact there's a guy at me there's a guy at my meetup who's kind of interested in this stuff and i think he's going to do a talk soon but I think this is the first time where it's actually been a, a cryptocurrency. And I was just waiting for this to happen. And in, in my mind, this was sort of a, 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 a an, an obvious way for cryptocurrencies to go towards. That's, that's very interesting that you mentioned local currencies, because I, I find this extremely interesting as well, but from, from kind of a different perspective. And then that is, there's this long-standing idea, and I think even Milton Friedman talked about this, um, is to have this kind of a, a basic income for every person. Yeah. So uh, you you would pay some amount, and that would be the same amount to every citizen of a country. Um, so in Switzerland, there's actually an initiative at the moment, and it's been... Uh, they've collected all the necessary signature. Uh, so there will be a referendum on this. So everyone in Switzerland will vote. And if a majority say we want this, then it will be implemented. And then that vote's going to come within the next year and a half or something. And uh, the idea of that initiative is that every Swiss person or every Swiss adult will be paid uh, 2,500 Swiss francs every month. Which is what, like um, 2,000 euros, something like that? About 2,000 euros. So this is not enough to live on. I mean, perhaps if you single and very minimally, but probably not. Uh, but but it's pretty close, right? So maybe you have to earn another 1,000 euros a month and then you can live on it modestly. Um, and then maybe if you're extremely economical, you can. And... The idea, of course, there's different aspects to this. I mean, one is about equality and uh, more equal distribution of wealth and income. Um, but there's also the idea that if you pay everyone this basic amount of work, perhaps they have more time and more liberty to take risks, to start companies, to do charity works, to become artists, to do things that don't have a direct monetary reward. Right. So there's, there's that idea. Um, of course, what's the downside of this? Well, it removes a lot of incentive to work. That's one problem. The other problem is it's extremely expensive. So this is be, would require a gigantic amount of money. And the only way to get this is through taxation. So it would mean, especially high incomes would have really, really high tax rates. And then the problem is people, you know, a lot of people aren't happy about that, especially the people who have to pay that. So they try to find some tax loopholes, evade taxes, and um, it gives a disincentive to, to make more money. You know, if you have to give away 80% of an additional, you know, an additional $10,000 you earn as someone who earns a lot, well, you know, there is not a lot of incentive to do that. Um, so... In a sense, what they're doing in Iceland, it, it achieves some of those things, or it, it, it could achieve some of those things, but without some of the downsides. Because everyone gets some amount of money, and if there's a kind of a community consensus that 
they value this, they value this experiment, they value this money, well, then it will have a value. The currency will have a value. But it comes from a new money issuance. It's not taken from other people. So this is extremely interesting, I think. And what's also interesting is that the value of this currency is not enforced. You know, if, if as a shopkeeper you say, I, I don't care about this, I'm not going to accept this, you can. But if you say, I do like this and I do value this, you can do that too. And the value, you know, how much one Aurora coin will be worth, that will depend on that kind of consensus. I think that's really cool um, and really exciting. Yeah, I just want to get back to your uh, the basic income idea. I, I've heard about this quite a bit, you know, because Switzerland is just next door. Um, and uh, I was always kind of interested about the idea. But then again, I didn't have kind of the uh, the economic knowledge to understand how it works. So so then how it works is um, you tax the very rich and they pay for essentially the very rich and very rich corporations pay through tax this basic income. So what you say is it's very expensive, but then you don't have to pay welfare. You don't have to pay unemployment also. So that comes out of it as well. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Right. I mean, some people, some people, no, no, you're certainly right. right? Some people already get this. So Mm -hmm. for them, it would be a replacement. So let's say retired people, uh, unemployed people, uh, you know, people maybe with some disabilities, so in, but, but you would have this for everyone. Yeah. I, I'm actually not hundred percent sure how in the initiative they do want to finance that. I, I mean, I presume the only way to do that is through taxation. Um, maybe they have some other ideas. So for our American listeners, this, this might sound like a very European idea. And to me, it, it, it definitely, uh, I think that the, for for people in in North America that have never heard this, might be kind of shocked that this is even being <laughs> discussed. And, <laughs> yeah, and, and you know, the, there's a referendum. That's when is it? It's in eighteen months. Yeah, yeah. Uh, well, it's not clear when, but within the next year or so. I mean, the signatures have been submitted in. Uh, I was just checking that in September, and then I think it's going to be discussed in the Parliament. And then once they've done that, so I presume that's going to be soon. And then once they've done that, I think within ten months. Is, or something like that, there will be the referendum. And this is the first um, time that this is actually, well, if this goes through, this would have been the first time in the world that this has happened, that we've seen this, right? Yeah. I mean, I, it's, I think it's unlikely it will go through. Yeah. Just, but um, yeah, it would be the first. And I, I, you know, I mean, I totally see, I don't know if I would vote for that. I'm skeptical because there's a huge risk and there's all these I'm not a fan of like extremely high tax rates. I mean, I think in some European countries, it's definitely too high. Um, But the cool thing about this idea of doing this through new money issuance is that you don't have to do it through high taxation. So you don't have this, for example, disincentive uh, that that very high tax rates cause. So I, I think this is really cool. And I mean, this Aurora coin is slightly different. So the way... The way it could be done is if it was a monthly issuance instead of a one-off issuance. I think that would be cool. But I also want to talk about a bit about the difficulty here. And I'm not sure how they've addressed this. So the difficulty, of course, is how do you make sure no one cheats? And this is very complicated. 
so, you know, how are they going to, how, for example, in Iceland, how will they make sure that only the people who actually own that ID can claim that money? So either you would need to have a central institution that verifies that, or can you just enter your ID number and then you get the money? But then it seems you could brute force and take everyone's IDs and take other people's money. So this is a, a difficult. And I think maybe, I don't know how exactly their idea works. Maybe that is, um, maybe they works with that thing. But in general, I think this is actually a very difficult problem to solve. And I saw actually on Bitcoin Talk, I read the thread about Aurora Coin. Someone asked about this and the, the developers sort of dismissed it. So I'm not sure how, I don't know how reputable these people are. I don't know how good they are and how much they actually know how they're going to do this. But uh, as a concept, it's super interesting. I also want to briefly mention, because I read about something just like this about a month ago in uh, Bitcoin magazine. So Vitalik Buterin mentioned something called a social coin. So that was a, a concept. It doesn't exist. But the idea was exactly that. So the idea would be a currency which gives a thousand units per month to every person in the world. And, uh, you know, so if enough people like the idea, start accepting it, then it's kind of a citizen's dividend program. So I'm quoting from Bitcoin Magazine with no centralized funding required. So it's exactly, you know, what I've been talking about. And it's, it's a lot like this Aurora coin idea. So, yeah, Very interesting. Very interesting. And I think someone is going to attempt to do this social coin thing. I mean, it would be cool to do this on a global... I mean, of course, it's cool to have it in, in Iceland. And and I think it also makes it more realistic that it will work because you have this more tightly knit community there with this Icelandic ID. They have a uniform way, perhaps, of, of you know identifying people. And I think it has a higher suggestions. But what would be very interesting, too, is if you did this on a global scale. Yeah, I mean, I think it's a it's an interesting experiment, and we'll get to see. Kind of, I mean, if it goes through and if it works, and if people start adopting this in Iceland, we'll actually get some a, 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 a real example of how this might work on a larger scale. Like you say, you know, they're yeah. in Ireland; they've got what three hundred thousand people. Um, so it's yeah. an interesting test bed, I think, for this kind of experiment. Yeah, and people are already trading it and mining, and this is kind of like oh really okay launched. yeah it's it's already there's a subreddit and everything so yeah well we'll have to see how that um, progresses I guess yeah exactly yeah so I've got two two more stories you want to cover um, on today's show so last week was it last week or two weeks ago yeah it was last week. Um, the Chicago Sun Times. Yeah, it was on February first, I think, the trial. Right. So just before our last episode, so the Chicago yeah. Sun Times uh, did a twenty-four hour trial where they would accept Bitcoin donations for paywalled content, and this is something that had been done by other newspapers as well. I think the Wall Street Journal and the Times. There's a lot of newspapers doing. Yeah, there's like oh. I think they were the ninth to do it or something like that. Uh, so Bitcoin paywalls, especially for the press, 
have been discussed quite a bit lately, and there's been different things that have been proposed, mostly because accessing content behind a paywall is kind of a pain. Um, They're usually micropayment transactions, so the the fees can be quite high. Uh, Well, not right now, right? What? I think that's that's kind of the issue is that with our current payment system with credit cards you can't really do microtransactions. Right, you, you, you've got to go through some, some, so some sort of subscription or exactly, or you got to prepay so, a minimum amount to be able to to then purchase content individually. Yeah, I don't know if there's any ones where you prepay and you pay per article. I think in general there are, you know. $5 a month to the financial times is actually very expensive. I was looking, oh, yeah. at, looking at it earlier, something like four pounds a week, or something along those lines. Um, and what's cool of course, with Bitcoin is you might be able to do per article payments. And there are, there is something called the micro payments channel where you can do Bitcoin microtransactions. Uh, cheaply because the issue still is if you have a at the moment it's like nine cents of transaction fees if you have a small amount it's actually it's pretty high but there's there's a way to do it with bitcoin for um, for very cheap i heard somewhere that there was um something somebody was working on and i don't know if this was an uh, in a protocol layer on top of bitcoin or if this was already included in bitcoin where you could send bitcoins to an address and kind of have them being held there and as you would navigate the website and uh browse pages that are behind a paywall like that money would get um withdrawn but per per page i don't know if you heard about this i thought it was really kind of i think the way it works so we've had a talk on this at our meet meet up here and i'm not i haven't looked into this much myself i have just some vague idea so the way it will work is that um, I think if I was using a website, I would put some money in some address that I control, or maybe it's in a, some escrow type thing. And then as I use the website, um, there will be a, a transaction that would be made to the, to the website, but it's not broadcast. Um, so, and, and I keep replacing that transaction. So once I stop, what the web, the newspaper is going to do, it's going to broadcast the transaction. So basically, however much I've used at this point is going to be, um, will be transferred and they can do that without my consent. Mm-hmm. So that, um, removes the problem that, that I'm just going to go away and not pay but it also means that there's only one transaction that's going to be in the blockchain, so you only have to pay transaction fee once. Yeah, that's really cool. Yeah, it's cool, yeah. And then what they've done here is that you could you could do a few things. You could either tweet the article and then you could read it, or you could um, make a Bitcoin donation. Right, so, it's, so we're just going to point out that this experiment with the Sun-Times were... It was a don- You had to give a donation, and that money would go to a foundation. Um, and they actually, I think they published another an article in CoinDesk where apparently, like twenty five cents was what people were 
were donating on average per article, and that was kind of the yeah the sweet yeah. spot. Yeah. So yeah, it's yeah. interesting. I mean, I think for for newspapers and, and online content, this is going to be a, a huge area of development. I mean, I think everybody kind of thinks the same thing. Well, I, I was actually reading about a bit about paywalls before our show, and um, I thought they were generally considered a success because I know for some newspapers they have been. But then when I was reading a bit more about it, uh, it seemed like the the tone was different, that it was, they thought it was generally not such a success. And then only for very few companies, very few newspapers, this works. And, and then I think primarily it works for newspapers that have a very unique positioning. So that, you know, they have very... A content you can't get elsewhere. You know, let's say the Financial Times to have their uh, Lex column or things like that, where it's very valued opinion. So you say, like, if you want that, you have to pay. You can't get it elsewhere. Right. You mean for, you mean sort of, for newspapers that have? Um, you're, you're 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 talking about newspapers in general. Yeah, I'm talking about newspapers. So what what I mean the is paywalls that paywalls are not a very good experiment for newspapers in general. That, that's what you're saying. Or, or that they only work if a newspaper has a really, really strong brand and a right. really unique positioning. But if it's just generic news, you'd be like, why would I pay for this? I can get it for free. Exactly. Yeah. Um, yeah. But it's interesting. And of course, with Bitcoin, this is this is one of these business models that are difficult to implement, if not impossible to implement with our current payment systems, but with Bitcoin to become possible. And it will be extremely interesting where this goes. I think there's so many possibilities. Um, one, one thing that kind of relates to this, maybe you can mention that briefly, another way where one could use these kind of microtransactions would be, let's say, if you have a Wi-Fi spot and you pay by, by bandwidth or by minute. So that's also something that's not really possible now. But you could do that with Bitcoin. So yeah, also it's, video it's, content. You know, it's been this has been proposed as well for for online video content, not just um, press. Yeah. Yeah, I think yeah, it's, so gonna, it's gonna be interesting to see story. where this goes. Absolutely, yeah, and uh, I think it was a success. It was a one-day experiment, but they're supposedly in talks and perhaps. They will implement this permanently, and uh, I, I don't know if Bitcoin is there in terms of adoption that it makes sense to do that. But of course, if you have an alternative that you can tweet it, then it might make sense, even if only a small portion of the readers use Bitcoin. And they did actually do a pretty decent amount. They had seven hundred donations in that day, so that's you know that's pretty good. Yeah, and just. Uh for our listeners to know, they're using a company called Bitwall, which yeah. is a new startup, and they're specializing in Bitcoin payments for press, for digital publishers. Yeah, they're part of the, this Boost VC, so this incubator in Silicon Valley that focuses on Bitcoin companies. Mm. Cool. I'm just looking at pricing. They seem to be setting up they're working out their pricing model right now. As of now, they're they're free for merchants. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Cool. Well, let's let's mention the last uh, last topic now. Yeah, Bittag. 
this is super cool. Yeah. So this <laughs> is uh, what is this? It's a price tag, like a digital price tag that you can put on physical merchandise in a store, and which which displays the price in well fiat and Bitcoin at the same time. And you can, you, I think you said you could shake it to. Uh, yeah, to refresh to the refresh price, the so price. It, it purchase yeah. the latest uh, exchange rate. So, you know, because with the Bitcoin's volatility, you can't really have a fixed price. So that that's the problem. With, like, I mean, I guess there's two problems with pricing things in Bitcoin. One is that the price is going to change. And the other thing is that people don't really have a clear idea. You know, what's 0 0.04 Bitcoin? Is that expensive? Is it cheap? People can't really relate to that. And this price tag thing it well it solves the issue in terms of is the price current by you know getting a price feed and you can shake it and it refreshes the, the feed and it kind of solves the problem of you know how much is this by just displaying the you know US dollar amount or pound amount as well yeah now this this is interesting because it allows for brick and mortar merchants to to uh I guess more easily get in, you know, maybe where before it may have been a uh, an issue for Bitcoin mortar merchants to accept Bitcoin because they weren't able to effectively um, show the Bitcoin price on products. This this opens up some possibilities for them now. To to, to me, the, I mean, it, you, I think you said this was kind of kind of expensive. This prototype is like what forty pounds per unit. Yeah, yeah, which is ridiculously expensive and whereas you know this this already exists in for instance here in france and most grocery stores they don't have like the paper <laughs> i used to work in a staple store back in back in canada and every day we had to go out and put new price tags on products that's not how it works anymore a lot of places now they have um these little kind of digital price tags where the price gets yeah. automatically updated. Uh, there's just like a little LCD screen, and I think they use some sort of I think they use some sort of proprietary uh, uh, infrared technology. Like they might have some kind of infrared uh, transmitter on the ceiling, and that transmits the new prices. So I think this can be scaled, and um, existing products might be able to be adapted to. Yeah, hopefully. And I mean, they their actual products will be a lot cheaper than the forty pounds they said. But of course, this, to use this a lot, yeah, I don't know. But it's it's cool, and I can see in some in some stores that perhaps want to brand themselves as you know with this Bitcoin store, and they I can I'm sure this would get a lot of media attention too if you're the first store that has this price tag. I mean, it's pretty cool. You no, know? you come there, you shake it, it refreshes. I think that's something because it's so physical, you can touch it, you can relate to it very differently than to online things. So I think from from that perspective, it might also make sense for for some merchants to do this. And so the price gets updated through uh, Bluetooth Low Energy technology. Yeah, that's yeah. right. Yeah. And it has a little battery. It needs to have a little light sensor so it can be powered by a... It can be powered Solar. By, yeah. <laughs> but see, this is where... I think this is where this product is uh, is flawed. Where it, It's got a microprocessor in it. It's got Bluetooth. It effectively calculates the price um, on the device. I think that... I think that it needs to be... <laughs> 
I think this needs to be like a, I guess it's a, a dumb device where nothing actually gets calculated on the thing. There's a solar, a little kind of calculator, solar panel and all that, so, so they can show the price, and the price gets fed down to it from a central unit, and it's just displaying price. And that's when we're going to see the price drop, and we're going to start seeing these things come in. I mean, this is effectively, like I said, what already exists. So it just needs to be adapted so that it can be refreshed a bit more often and, and yeah. show two prices. I mean, because <clears throat> if we're, if we're going to have these things with microprocessors and Bluetooth, uh, they're going to remain expensive to produce. Yeah. Well, it's cool, and yeah. hopefully we'll see that at some point. Yeah, somewhere that would be exciting. Sh- uh, do we have any Bitcoin acceptances to talk about? Uh, yeah, there's. Well, last week we put out a call for our listeners to let us know if there's new Bitcoin acceptances in their in their uh, in their city or around them in their area. And actually, somebody reached out to us on Twitter. His name is Gianni Itzatown. I think, I'm sorry if I'm not pronouncing that right. <laughs> He's on our, he tweeted us on Epicenter BTC, so if you want to check that out. And he says that um, Helen's Pizza in Jersey City, New Jersey, started accepting Bitcoin a few weeks ago. So there you go. If you're in Jersey City, you can go to Helen's Pizza and pay your pizza with Bitcoin. Cool. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, hopefully make this Jersey sometimes and take advantage of this. Yeah. There's also, uh, in the UK, there's a, a retailer called Scan Computers that started accepting Bitcoin, and they're supposedly a big player. So I, I didn't know them. Do they have brick, brick and mortar cool. locations, or are they only? Online? I'm not sure. I don't know. I think it's an online thing. Okay. So not very many big acceptances this week. No? Yeah, it doesn't seem like it. Not as many as we've had last week, I think, following the Overstock thing. But I actually, I remember I listened to the interview. I thought that was interesting on Let's Talk Bitcoin. They had an interview with the Overstock CEO. And uh, and he was asked, you know, do you expect other companies to come there? And he, I mean, he was speculating, but he felt, he said, like, I think there's going to be many, like, billion-dollar companies soon. Yeah. Like, within within weeks. Uh, which actually did happen with Tiger Direct, but perhaps we'll see more of that now. That was a good interview. So, yeah. And he yeah, seems to be very, yeah. seems to be very, um, he, he believes in Bitcoin and wants it to thrive. And Yeah. Yeah. Okay. But, well, uh, yeah, I think so that was it for this week. No? Absolutely. Yeah. And if, you know, if you've got, uh, if you know of, uh, like we said last week, if you know of, new stores or merchants in your area that accept Bitcoin or even online stores, perhaps in your country, uh, um, let us know on Twitter at Epicenter BTC and we'll talk about it on the show. Yeah, perfect. And if you're in Berlin next week at uh, Inside Bitcoin's conference, uh, please let us know because Sebastian is coming over here and we'll both be there. We'll be doing interviews and uh, producing content and, uh, uh, talking to people, so it'd be great to meet some listeners. Yeah, we got to see if we can do a live show somewhere. Yeah, yeah, no, that's uh, definitely the plan. Maybe have some. We will uh, also some people will on. also be recording our first kind of in person show. I think next next weekend, which will be cool. So thank you for listening to our sixth episode. Thanks for staying with us all this time. Uh, we're um, we're really excited to see the numbers go up and 
and I'm like I'm I'm super excited to be going to Berlin. Like uh, I can't wait to leave there on Tuesday. Uh, we're gonna be producing lots of content there, and hopefully getting lots of interviews. I've got this nice pocket recorder that I was able to get my hands on, so we can do good uh, good quality interviews, and we'll be releasing those over the next few weeks uh, in the feed as kind of special special episodes that won't be like on on the regular Sunday release. And so follow us on Twitter at EpicenterBTC. Also, we've got a Facebook page. Not very active for the time being, but uh, like us on Facebook and maybe we'll start posting stuff there too. Yeah, and if you're, if you're interested in Bitcoin news, you want to hear about what's going on, get some analysis every week on what's... Uh, then please sign up for a newsletter at epicenterbitcoin.com slash newsletter. And also tip us at epicenterbitcoin.com slash tips. And we've got a Bitcoin address there. And we just set up our Dogecoin address and our Litecoin address. So if you want to send us some Dogecoin or Litecoin, you can also do that there. And also um, we're still waiting for feedback. Uh, if you've got feedback for us, whether it's on the type of content you want to hear or maybe it's just... I don't know, Sebastian speaks too loud or, yeah. <laughs> or I don't know, whatever, whatever feedback you have for us. And also, if, if you're a podcaster and, and you've got some podcasting experience, we're looking for somebody who can help us um, make our production better. So, uh, you know, we're, uh, we're open also for, uh, for some professional advice. Well, thanks for listening and uh, look forward to being back soon. Yeah, and I'll see you on Tuesday. Yeah, see you on Tuesday, yeah.